So today is uh, Reformation Sunday. We celebrate uh, the Reformation for a number of reasons, but primarily because this was the kind of reclamation of uh, the truth of God. This is um, when Luther got back to some biblical theology and brought it before the church and pushed through in the face of multiple uh, layers of persecution that salvation is, is not by putting money in the plate and, uh, and, and springing someone from purgatory, that salvation is not by how well you confess or how much pain you inflict on yourself, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Um, and if you don't know too much about our namesake, why we're actually uh, called Lutherans, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about Luther. He was, he was a Catholic church in the early 1500s, and he he was a, a Catholic monk in the church in the early 1500s that uh, saw, a, saw layers and layers of corruption in the church that had just been kind of building and layering on itself for a number of years, um, decades, centuries even. And uh, when, when many were seeking uh, money and some were seeking money and power, others had gone so far down the path of tradition that tradition itself had become an authority, um, no longer bound by the word of God, but just what had been taught for however many years. Um, and, and he calls out this corruption in 1517 by nailing 95 theses or doctrinal statements in a very public place on the, uh, on the, the door of the church uh, where lots of people would see it. So it sparked debates. He gained a ton of popularity in those years. In the years uh, following, obviously, we're still talking about it. But at that time, it got so uh, incensed that he actually became like a stink to the Pope, to the uh, Holy Roman Emperor. He's becoming a problem. And he was eventually excommunicated for holding to these beliefs. And it after he was excommunicated, he was required to publicly recant these beliefs, uh, you know, to say, I was wrong, I, I don't actually believe that, or he would be considered an enemy of the empire. He would be, you know, at the mercy of whoever executed him, essentially, whoever tracked him down and killed him. He's, he's an outlaw, okay? So here he, he gets called before the emperor. He's standing before this council of, of villains, um, Emperor or, uh, Shredder is prosecuting and Voldemort sentences him to Dimension X where Thanos and the Kree have him executed. Um, obviously, this is a ridiculous departure from, from the story, but it illustrates the point why the Reformation is important right? This, this is what happened. It eventually um, uh, got so far down this path of falsehood that nobody really knew what was true. They were being told these stories that weren't actually real, but it was, re it was received as truth. Um, it was received as truth in the tradition of, of the church. Obviously, this is ridiculous, but this is why the Reformation is important, because truth has a tendency to drift. So it has to be preserved. Um, so there's this, there's this Latin saying, 
semper reformanda. It means always reforming, ever reforming. Um, this is a reclamation of the truth, and, and this is a battle to, to always be reforming. It is, it is a constant struggle to maintain the truth, to not drift toward falsehood, because that's what we're prone to do. And our best weapon in this regard is the word. Okay, And Luther knew this. Luther knew that our best weapon was the word, which is why he stood before this council and uh, said, not to Voldemort, said to the Holy Roman Emperor, this was, these were his words, since then your serene majesty and your lordships seek a simple answer. That's all they wanted, recant or no. Are you wrong or do you claim to be right? That was it. Since your lordships seek a simple answer, I will give it in this manner. Neither horned nor toothed, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted. And my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not retract anything. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. May God help me. Amen. See, one of the things actually to be mourned through this ob- through the observance of Reformation Day is that there's essentially a free market on churches now. Um, it's, it's not really beholden to any standard of confessions. It's just, well, if I, um, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and start a new church because you made me mad or I don't agree with this or I have different opinions about that. So instead of being subject to any kind of form of authority or, um, or standard, it's just, well, I'm going to I'm going to go out and do my own thing. And, and that's not what Luther was trying to do. This was a, a, tragedy, a, a tragedy that was a byproduct of the Reformation. But he didn't set out to create a free market for churches. He didn't want to create his own church. He wanted to reform the Catholic church. Okay? He wanted to stay unified. And eventually he got to the point where they said, we are not receiving truth according to God's word. So you're out. Okay? The goal was not to be a historical figure or to launch a new denomination in his name. In fact, when, he, when people started, uh, when people received the name Lutherans, I mean, this was, this was a uh, devastation to his memory. I mean, this was a shameful thing that, that he would be, they would be named, we would be named after him. Um, that's not what his goal was. So I can't imagine that he saw this moment before this council as his big break. You know, here's how I, like, oh, let, me, let me craft this response that will be echoed for centuries to come so I can be famous. You know, this is how the world will know who I am. I imagine that he was probably terrified because the last guy, John Huss, who Echo, who had a semblance of these kind of things that Luther was claiming and teaching, the last guy who got free passage and a protection, a promise of protection to go before the Holy Roman Emperor, he had that protection revoked and he was burned at the stake when he got there. So I imagine that Luther's probably a little scared to be standing there. He knows exactly what happened. But the truth of the gospel won out and he he submitted to the word of God. So the question is, how was he so convinced? How was he that convinced that that what he was claiming was worthy of 
of, of subjecting yourself to the possibility of death. How was he so convinced that, that was the truth? Because up to this time, quote unquote, truth had been decided according to power and might. The Holy Roman, uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church was the true church because it was winning wars and gaining land and executing pagans. This was what made it the, the true church. And here Luther is living out a very different kind of truth. It's not marked by power. It's not marked by lording yourself over another person or group of people. It's marked by submission to God's word, regardless of the potential consequences. I think that he meant it when he said, may God help me, amen, because he didn't know what was coming. He wasn't trying to be melodramatic. So this moment of truth where Luther stands before this council is not marked by power. It's marked by his submission to the word. To the word. It's not a submission to the Pope, not a submission to the Emperor, right? It's a submission to God in God's undying living word. So Luther is not a hero in his own right. Today is not about remembering this great man, especially for Lutherans, because we tend to get this kind of backwards, usually, right? We, we say, well, thank God for Luther. Luther was one of many. He's entering a lineage of a witness to the gospel, centuries, millennia old. He's entering a cloud of witnesses. In fact, Paul kind of writes about this to his mentee, Timothy, a pastor who was pastoring pastors. And Paul says this, 1 Timothy 6, 12. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so I'm gonna go... um, a little grammar nerd on you real quick because this is important, okay? This, this word fight, fight the good fight of faith. He's commanding Timothy, fight, okay? It's an imperative. It's a command, fight. This is something you have to do. Now, where we imagine like this is what fighting the faith looks like, right? We stand on street corners. We, we hand out tracks. We, we bullhorn it up. We, uh, you know, we, we, we post uh, we post pro-life memes on Facebook and, and you know, we know it's going to start fights and we'll fight back because this is what the fight of faith looks like. Okay, this word, fight, it, it doesn't have a tense that's really matched in English, but it's, it, it reflects on itself. Okay, it, it has, it, it's a word that means to act upon yourself or to fight yourself, fight in yourself, fight for yourself. So when he's saying fight the fight of faith, this is something that is turned back on yourself. Okay, it's not on a godless world. The battlefield for the gospel is not the volume level between you and your atheist neighbor. 
Okay, the battlefield for the gospel is not in the comment threads. It's not in the voting booth. It's not on the highway when somebody cuts you off. This is not the battlefield where we let the world know we are Christians and you are going to have to deal with it because I am fighting for this. This is worth fighting and I'm going to make a sting to everyone around me. This is not what fighting the fight of faith is, is about. The battlefield of the gospel is the heart where the gospel is lived out. Fight for yourself, the fight of faith. Our witness is lived out of a reality, is lived out of a battle that God does within us. Our witness is a reflection of God's victory over sin, over death, over guilt and shame in our hearts. It's not about being the loudest. It's not about being right. Okay, when, we, when Paul says, make the confession of faith, a confession is more than about having the right answers at the right time. Okay, confess literally means, uh, in the Greek, say the same. Or a confession literally means same word. Okay, it's an echo. A confession is an echo. And Paul is saying, echo the word of God. Don't just, don't just start spouting stuff that you believe in or you agree with. And Jesus would probably vote this way. You don't know. You, nobody cares, right? That's not in the word. This is not the word of God, all right? God's word is very clear when it says how we are to live out our confession. In fact, he even brings up Jesus as the example before Pilate, he stands before Pilate. He's about to get executed. He doesn't, he doesn't turn to the crowd and say, you know, I want you all to hear this, you morons. You know, you're, you're murdering the son of God. And, you know, he doesn't do that. Pilate says, are you a king? And he looks at Pilate and he says, you have said so. Okay, this is, this is not about having the right answers at the right time. This is about aligning with the testimony that God put forth before the beginning of the world that said, here's who I am and here's what I do. You don't, but I do. You won't, but I will. You haven't, but I have. It's a testimony of mercy and grace. This is our confession. And if you want to know how to live this out, it's not just Jesus before Pilate. This is when he makes the confession, but it's not just about the words we say. Okay? Um, one more word about that, that word, fight. Agonizomai. Agonizomai. What word do you see there? Agonize. Agony. This is where we get our word agony, agonize. Fight for yourself. The good fight of faith. This is an agony. This is Christ in the garden, sweating drops of blood, saying, if there is any other way, but then going forward because there's not. This is Christ before Pilate, before the soldiers on the cross, not calling down an army of angels to slaughter everyone because they're messing up the Son of God. He agonizes over the truth, over what he needs to do for their salvation, for our salvation. 
right? This is what the agony of God looks like. He's not trying to prove a point. He's not trying to be right. He just lives out the very identity that God has given him, the very identity that he has had from the creation of the world and the identity that God gives us in him. Children of God, agents of the gospel, not agents of wrath. He does what he came to do out of his identity. And because of that agony on the cross, he defeats our death. We didn't get up there. He got up there. And yet we are gathering here saying, praise God, we're saved. You've given us salvation. Christ, you are everything. We weren't on the cross. We didn't earn the right to say any of this. We didn't earn the right to live out our lives as children of God or to confess this witness. We didn't earn that. This was handed down to us as a gift. This is an act of grace. This is what Luther just lost it over. That this would be how we are saved. I mean, this man agonized over sin. Okay, he's a monk in a monastery because he thought like getting away from society was the only way to be holy, that he had to think about it all the time. He had to wrestle with his sin. He flayed his back open, his own back with the whip to feel the pain of sin. He starved himself to the point where he experienced digestive problems for the rest of his life. He starved himself intensely. He he almost froze to death out in the snow and they had to pull him back in because he was trying to punish himself to feel the pain for his own sin. So it bowled him over when he actually, when the concept of grace clicked for him. When he's reading through Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and he sees stuff like, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It was a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one may boast. Or when he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Or my personal favorite, one that we almost talked about um, this morning from Galatians 2. Paul writes, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. This is earth shattering for someone who is trying to earn their salvation by being perfect. So we soberly remember that our church is fractured and divided today, that there are as many denominations as there are people pretty much, right? Even, even within denominations, it's, well, 
yeah, I'm part of them, but I really don't, I'm, I don't hold to that too strictly. Or, you know, yeah, I know that I should probably feel this way according to Scripture, but that's just not what I see. You know, in the face of this, we, we remember today with sobriety, but we celebrate grace. We celebrate the fact that the fight is not ours, that it is his. And we live out his fight in our hearts. And then we're not just aligning our words as a confession, that we align our very fight over who we approach and how we approach, that our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our fight is against Satan. Our fight is against sin. This should shape how we go to our brothers and sisters. This should shape how we approach people in the world. We fight like Jesus with the word of God that bestows life and grace through the death of Jesus Christ, victory through his resurrection.